The name of the, the title of the message today is Honoring God's Presence. Honoring God's Presence. We're going to read a story uh, in the Bible about how some people did not honor God's presence and how they responded after they realized that. So if you would just bow your heads with me, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak clearly to us today. Jesus, you are king. We're not just saying that just because it's the correct thing to say. Jesus, we want to honor you as our king. Truly, not in pretense, but in truth, you are our king. And we give you permission today to speak. We willingly offer our lives to you. We say, Jesus, our lives don't belong to you. They are yours. Would you speak clearly? Would you teach us to honor your presence every single day? In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. Just hold your place there. In the Old Testament, we see that God used different objects to represent his presence. When God called Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, what did he speak to him from? Anybody remember? A burning bush. God used a bush, a bush that was on fire but was not consumed, to speak to Moses. Um, when Israel left Egypt, when Moses began leading them out, God manifested his presence in a pillar of fire by night, in a pillar of cloud. It was just this cloud that looked like a pillar. And while the Israelites were in the wilderness, whenever the pillar moved, God expected them to move. And if the pillar stayed in a certain place for a long period of time, then they would stay there. But God used this pillar of fire and cloud to represent his presence. Symbolic for us today, whenever he moves, we move. In Exodus 25, God begins to ask Israel to construct or build a structure called a tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically a portable temple. It was a temple made out of a tent. And then we know later that they would build a, a beautiful temple in Jerusalem, but first it was called a tabernacle. Why did God ask them to build a tabernacle? It's a very simple answer. God wanted to live among them. Look at, look at, the, at the screens. Exodus 29 says this. It says, yes, I will consecrate, this is God talking, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then, listen to this, this is amazing, I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God, I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. Two times he, he says, I'm going to live among them. I am the Lord their God. The whole reason he asked them to build this tabernacle is so that he could be close to them. Listen carefully. It has always been God's heart to be close to his people. This is not just an empty religion that we're in or an empty faith. We serve a very real God whose heart from the beginning has, to be, has been to be close to his people. This is why we can strive to be in his presence every day because he wants to be cl closer to you than you want to be closer to him, which is an amazing thing. Now, in the tabernacle, there were different stations, different utensils uh, that were used by people, the priests, the Levites to perform these sacrifices and rituals to please God or to appease God or satisfy God. That's another way to say it. The whole reason the tabernacle was constructed is so that we could do these sacrifices and rituals and, and these different things so we could be close to God. Now, 
Why did I use the word satisfy? That seems kind of like a kind of a tough word. Well, this is the truth. It's because God is holy and we are not. There, we can't just approach God however we want. There is a process. There is a man that came from heaven, died on the cross for our sins so that we could have access to the Father, and his name is Jesus. Jesus did away with all, all these things in their tabernacle so that he could be the only way. He actually didn't do what he fulfilled them in his ministry here on earth. Everything in the tabernacle that we read about was used to prepare us for God. And what the Israelites didn't know is that each station, each room, each utensil from the, the altar on the outside to the wash basin right before the door to the, the, the bread to the golden, uh, the golden um, um, incense, the, um, the menorah was in, the golden lampstand, there we go, was in there, and then the, the, which was the holy place and the most holy place. Each place prepared us to get into God's presence. The last place was called the most holy place, and it contained a piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of y'all have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? I loved that movie growing up. I remember my, my dad went to Mexico um, one year, or we went, I think we all went, and uh, they sell those bull whips, and I'm like, man, I want to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> Go whip some, some of my siblings into shape, and so I only have a few scars. But the Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred thing that Israel possessed. It was the most precious thing because it represented the reward of every sacrifice. Listen to this. It represented the reward of every sacrifice, every offering that they made, which was the presence of God. That was the reward. That was the whole reason that they were offering these sacrifices is so that God can continue to live among them. So for the rest of this message, I'm going to focus on the ark. I'm going to read a passage and point something out about the ark. If we could put that picture on the screen real quick. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read a passage describing the ark, but I want you just to look at it as I'm reading it. This is what the ark of the covenant looked like. Exodus 25 verse 10 says that they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. Basically, the, it, the ark was 45 inches long, 27 inches wide and 27 inches tall. It wasn't a very big box. I don't know what you what you pictured when you thought, thought about the ark of the covenant, but it was only about, you know, this big, this wide and about this tall. Verse 11, you just keep looking at the picture. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. You shall overlay it and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You can kind of see the rings by the poles. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. Listen to this. They shall not be taken from it. Those poles that you see, and they may have been a little bit longer. We don't know exactly how long the poles were. Um, but the poles were created to be put in these rings and to continually stay there. Why did God want the poles to stay in the rings? Because if God wanted to move suddenly, then we had to be ready to pick it up. Did you know the presence of God was created to be carried by people? Not by a cart, not by a car, not by animals. Because, and that was symbolic of today. 
we are now carriers of his presence. You may not realize this, but the presence of God Almighty resides within you. How carefully then should we live? How carefully then should we talk? This is, this is beyond what we can imagine. Truly, like if we really understood that, <clears throat> we'd live very different lives. Verse 22, you can go ahead and put this verse on the screen. It says, There I will meet with you in the holy place at the ark, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, between the two angels, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So this is where God would speak to his people from the most holy place, from the Ark of the Covenant, symbolize his presence. This is one object that symbolizes the presence of God. Okay, now turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to read, this, I'm going to read that story that I mentioned earlier. Before this moment, before the story we're about to read we see that the ark had been captured by the Philistines. Long story short, the people of Israel thought that simply by taking the ark into battle, even though they were living in sin, even though they were disobeying the Lord, they thought that by simply taking the ark, they would get the victory. Well, uh, they lost the battle and the ark was captured. About seven months later, the ark was returned by the Philistines because it was giving them headaches. You can read that story later. And it came to uh, rest at a place called Kiriath Jerem, Kiriath Jerem, and it was in this place for 20 years. Okay, so that's kind of the backstory. It was captured, returned, and then it was at this city uh, for 20 years. And then we'll pick up the story in verse 1. We see that David becomes king and wants to bring the ark back home to him. The reason why he wanted to bring it back home was very simple. He wanted the presence of God close to him. David had a heart after God, and he said, I can't allow the, the presence of God just to be in another town within my kingdom. I need God's presence living with me. I hope that's our heart as well. Verse 1, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, the man who had the ark for 20 years, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, not to be confused with Ohio, but Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, the Levites, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. Okay, before we go on, does anybody see a problem so far? Oh, please don't make me go back. Is it... Thank you. They put the ark on a cart. What did we just read in Exodus? They were supposed to carry it with poles. Okay. They weren't honoring God's requirements. Therefore, listen, they weren't honoring his presence. This is just a simple, simple illustration, but everyone has different personalities, right? We have different wants, desires. If you're in a relationship with somebody... Let's say, um, this is off the top of my head, but let's just say, okay, here's a good one, the toilet seat. Okay, yeah, the infamous toilet seat. Your wife would say, if you want to continue to live in my presence, you will put that toilet seat down. <laughs> right, ladies? Okay, that's just an example. So there are some requirements for your husband or your kids to live in your presence. Otherwise, you're not honoring them. Is that fair? 
It's the same thing with the Lord. Okay, keep reading. Verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. They were celebrating with many instruments, things that are very appropriate. Listen, they're very appropriate to do when you get in his presence. And we're going to get into this a little bit more next week. That when we get in his presence, that we praise and worship him. These are things that he has asked of us to honor his presence. Verse 6. And when they came to the threshing floor, basically when they came around a corner of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. So they're coming around the corner and the ox stumbles because there's probably potholes in the road like they are here in the Permian Basin. And he says, hey, I got I to gotta catch it. It's going to fall. Verse 7, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means to break out against Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, listen to what he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So what happened? The ark is stumbling because it's on a cart, the improper way, and Uzzah thinks, hey, I'm going to help God. Think about that statement. I'm going to help God stabilize the ark so that it doesn't fall off. Imagine you're Uzzah and you're on the cart. Maybe, you, maybe your brother's driving it. He has the reins and you're like right there kind of stabilizing him, stabilizing the cart, the, the ark. And out of the goodness of your heart, the well-intentioned meaning of your heart, you touch the ark, and then the next thing you know, you're not on earth anymore. My God, what the heck? Like, <laughs> I was trying to help you out. Why did you strike me dead? Well, we know that he's not, we're not transporting it the right way, but is there anything else that, that happened that shouldn't have happened in this story? Well, we didn't read it because it's in another passage, but I'm going to read it. This is God talking, Numbers 4.15. It says, And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they, what, must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. One of the requirements of being in his presence Around the ark was not to touch the ark of the covenants. What did Uzzah do? He touched it. Well-intentioned, but still touched it. Listen, it wasn't the first mistake that killed Uzzah. It was the second mistake. The first mistake was putting it on a cart. But it, that's not the one that killed him. It was the second one. Listen, sometimes it's not the first sin that brings consequence, but the second and the third or even a later one. Why? Because God is merciful. Whenever we sin, whenever we sin and we recognize our sin, we have an opportunity to repent and to get our heart right. But if we continue, and that's God's mercy, and sometimes we sin the second time, the third time, but eventually God says, my son, my daughter is taking advantage of my mercy, is taking advantage of my grace. If I continue to let them take advantage then they'll end up separated from me, and I can't have that. It wasn't the first consequence. It was the second one in this case. You still might ask, was Uzzah really at fault? Really? 
Was he really at fault? Because he was trying to help God, after all, trying to help um, the situation from, imagine the ark falling off the cart and everyone wondering, what, what do we do? God just fell off the cart. I want you to consider this. Uzzah and Ohio were the sons of the man who had the ark for 20 years. It is very likely that they grew up around the presence of God, meaning they had been taught the requirements of how they should live around it. It's very, very likely that they knew they weren't supposed to touch the ark. It's very likely that they knew um, that it wasn't supposed to be put on a cart. Very, I mean, they were around it for 20 years, and the Bible says that he was blessed. So you know what that tells me? It tells me that they would probably got comfortable around God. And they got to a place where they no longer revered God and revered his presence. And they may have become too familiar. Listen to this. How often do we walk into God's presence casually and without reverence? And I think it's very easy for us when we come on a Sunday morning or open up our Bible every day or go into prayer for us just to casually walk in because we do this on a regular basis. But the truth is God is a holy God and he will not allow us just to reach out and touch him. This is, this is another way to look at it. The, is he thought the ark was going to fall off the cart so he wanted to, this, listen to this word, he wanted to manipulate the ark and put it back in its place. Listen, God will not be manipulated, Amen. even if you have good intentions. How many times have we been praying about something that is clearly not God's will, but we want to manipulate the scripture, we want to manipulate what people have told us and say, well, they don't really know what they're talking about, so I'm going to go to this person. Well, they don't really know what they're talking about, so I'm going to go to this person, and we manipulate words of God to fit what we want. It's the same thing as moving the ark on the cart. I think this was the issue. I think Uzzah had gotten too familiar with God's presence. And even though it seemed harsh, God could not allow everyone around that situation to believe that it was okay to be in his presence however, he, however they wanted. He couldn't allow it. Because otherwise, everyone else would reach out and touch the ark. How did David respond? Look again at verse 8. And David was angry because of the Lord, because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perizuza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can it come to me? The first reaction he had, he was angry. God, again, what are you doing? I want you close to me. I'm not, I don't have to do this. The ark is within the Israel's borders. You're, you're here, but I wanted you close to me. How could you strike Uzzah this way? How could you stop us from bringing the ark back home? He couldn't understand why it happened. Have you ever been mad at God because of how the situation turned out and later realized it was your fault? I hope you've gotten there because that, that's one of the first, if you're serious about the last one of the first things you realize. I can't believe this happened this way. Why are they treating me this way? Why is this happening? How can my boss's 
playing favorite, all these different things. We, we create these scenarios, and many times we're in these situations not because God put us there, but because we put ourselves there. This was David. His first response was anger, like, God, I, don't, I can't understand it. And he didn't know the rules. We're going to read them in a second. He didn't understand why this had happened, because I guarantee you if he did know, he, wouldn't have, he would have done it that way. His second, his, I want you to look at his second reaction, though. He was first angry, but then it says he was afraid. And I believe this wasn't an evil fear. I believe this was a reverent fear. In the moment, he didn't, this is so good. In the moment, he didn't know what happened, but he chose not to blame God. He blamed himself. He said, how could God come to me? He said, I'm, you know what? I, I wanted him close to me, but man, I, I must be really sinful if he's going to kill somebody on the way from bringing it to where it is to where I want it to be. This is, man, I hope you get this. This is something we need to develop within our hearts. If something happens that we don't, that we don't understand, that we don't appreciate, that we say, God, I'm not going to blame you. It must be something else or it must, must not be the right timing. But I will not attribute the blame to you. You know, I think, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I think this, whenever I, whenever I went through divorce years and years ago, I think this is one thing that kept my heart pure. Um, I remember this was the first girl I'd ever dated. I've shared all that before. First everything. And during the whole process, I could not understand why I was going through, through this hard situation. I just couldn't understand. But there was one thing, one thing that I did. I didn't blame God. I said, God, you must have a plan. You must have a plan. And I feel like I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you the facts. I feel like if I had blamed God, I wouldn't be here today. And eventually, about three years, about two years after we officially got divorced, the Lord said, it wasn't my fault. It was your fault. You disobeyed me. And he showed me the whole, he showed me the whole story. I'm like, whoa, God, it was my fault. One thing that we need to be able to do is when things don't go right or don't go the way we want, that we don't blame God. That'll keep your heart pure. And this is what David did. He was angry. He didn't understand why. Like all of us, we get angry, but he didn't attribute blame to God. He said, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not holy enough. I guess I'm not. And eventually, God showed him. Verse 10. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in this house for three months. And listen, it said the Lord blessed him and all his household, because wherever the presence of God resides, that house is blessed. Verse 12, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that belongs to him because of the ark. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And uh, we're going to read First Chronicles. This is another account of this story. But by this point, David had realized his mistake. And I'm going to read that. First Chronicles 15:11. This is another account of this story. It says, Then David summoned the priests of Zadok, Abiathar, Abiathar, the Levites, and these other men, and said to them, You are the heads of the father's house of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you, not me, may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared. This is another mistake he made. He went to get the ark when God said, hey, it's only the Levites, the consecrated people, who are to bring the ark. Verse 13, he, he says it right here, verse 13. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. Why? Because we did not seek him 
according to the rule. He said, I, he said, I was so excited to be, to have your presence close that I, that I didn't take the time to see how I should bring it and how I should honor your presence. I just did it out of my own will. And I'm telling you, there are many things that we want to do in this life. But we have to seek God. We have to hear his voice. God, is this what you're wanting me to do? Even though you have good intentions, is this what you're wanting me to do? Let me ask my pastor. Let me ask my mentor. Let me ask a brother or sister. Is this what, is this what God, let me go to your word. Let me go to you in prayer. Is this what God wants for me? He said, we do not seek it according to the rule. Listen, there are specific ways God wants us to approach him. We cannot approach him or serve him however we want. Leave that up just for a second. There are specific ways that we are to approach God. You cannot approach God however we want. David worshiped God with all these instruments and left out one small but important thing. And it cost him. When we come to Jesus, we have to surrender and say, God, I have these talents. I have these abilities. I have this time. We list all these things subconsciously. I can do this. I can do that. And God, and we, but God is saying, but is that what I'm asking you to do? We can't serve him however we want. We have to go to him. Verse 14. So this priest and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles. 16, and David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps, lyre, cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. I'm going to get more into that next week. Verse 13, and when those who carried the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David is wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. It said, this, this, picture this. David wanted God's presence so much to be with him that every time the, 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 the Levites carrying the ark took six steps, he sacrificed two animals. They would take another six steps and sacrifice two animals. He was saying, I'm not just bringing a piece of furniture into this place, into my home. I'm bringing the presence of the Lord, and he is worthy of everything I could sacrifice to him. I don't know how many animals David had, but he had to have a lot. I don't know how many, how many had left over when he was done, but he probably lost a lot. It didn't matter to him because he wanted God's presence close to him. I'm going to ask you this question. What are you willing to sacrifice to have God close Yes, God is good. Yes, we can say the sinner's prayer and he'll come close. But the degree that he is close is up to you. We have to have his presence. I was at um, two big things last night. I went to a quinceanera and I was at a, um, a boxing match last night. Hundreds of people at each of those events up till who knows what time in the morning. And I'm on my way to church this morning. I'm wondering, I wonder how many of those people are coming to church. How many of those people go to church? It's a sacrifice to be close to the Lord. The question is, are we willing to sacrifice what he's asking us? Verse 16, then we see the story shifts. This is where it gets interesting. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, one of his wives, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window 
and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And it says, and she despised him in his heart. What does the word despise mean? I have the definition right here. Despise, to look down on with disrespect or aversion. To disregard, to regard as negligible, worthless, or distasteful. We use this word a lot around here, and so this is why I wanted to define it. But to despise means to look down, to not treat, to treat as worthless. So what Michael did is she looked down, she looked down from her window and saw David dancing before God's presence, honoring him, and said, that's worthless. What is, what is my husband doing? What is the king of Israel doing? Let's keep reading. Verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. In the, in the law, it says to sacrifice. So David did his homework. He read the whole law and said, I'm going to do exactly the things that honor God's presence. Verse 18. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women. He gave them, listen to this, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins, raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. David was a true leader. He didn't just bless the people and pray over them. He gave to them. And I think that's, that is the true mark of a leader. That's a true mark of a disciple. And not just to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you and hope that things go well, but to do what is within our power to help those in need. Amen? Verse 20, and David returned to bless his household. So David blessed the people, and then he says, okay, now I'm going to go to my home and bless my household, everyone there. Verse, uh, and we keep reading, it says, but Michael... The daughter, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today. Look how she, she's speaking to him. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants, female servants. He says, You just didn't uncover yourself before the servants, but be, be, uh, before the servants of your servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Look at the New Living Translation uh, version of this verse. It says, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael came out to him and she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel, I don't think it's on there, but listen, how di distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. She mocks David and says, David, how you honored yourself today. You were dancing before the people. And a lot of people, you have heard this said that, um, you have heard this said that, um, that David danced until he was naked. I don't, I don't think, the Bible doesn't really say that. But, it said it, but I think what it implies is that David danced in such a way that was not proper for kings to dance. Because they were, you know, the highest highest, um, most respected and honored people, you know, within the land, within the kingdom, I think that she was pointing out that David behaved in such a way that was not befitting, supposedly, for a king. Verse 21, and David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. Look, look at his response. This is, this is savage. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father, above your house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased, or um, I will be 
humiliated before your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have talked about, by them I will be held in honor. Severely reprimanded his wife. <laughs> All this started, and then, and then it says, so Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout, childless to the day of her death. Think about this. David was coming back to bless his household. Who knows if he was coming back to bless his wife so that she could have a child? What happened? She despised him and then mocked him. All this, you have to listen, all this started with Michael despising David. It, It wasn't the first sin. Here we go again. It started with her despising David. Why did she despise David? Look at this carefully. Michael despised David's worship because she valued valued how she looked more than she valued, valued the presence of God, just like her father, Saul. Anybody remember Saul, King Saul? He cared more about how he looked in front of the people than about what God thought about him. And God said, you can't be king anymore. I believe Saul passed this down to his daughter. And she cared more about how she looked than about how God looked. She valued herself more than God. Listen, when we don't, and she despised David, when we don't value the presence of God, we will despise how others worship him. He's going to step on some toes. When we don't value the presence of God, we will become like Michael and despise how others worship God. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people who worship God very loud, very demonstratively to get attention. And some, many do it and don't realize that's why they're doing it. But that's why they're doing it. But there are some people who truly love God like King David And they don't care what their worship looks like. And they're following the Spirit, following His leading. And I'm just going to remind you, whenever we worship together, the Word says to be done in order. Decently in order. There's some people that are kind of out of order. They're not following the flow. And that's, I would say, that's not the Lord. But whenever the Lord moves, a group of people moves a church to praise a certain way, those who don't care will praise Him the way David did. David loved God, and he danced before the Lord with all of his mind, and he sacrificed him every six steps. Listen, the consequences of not having children for the rest of her life didn't come that first hour. It came hours later, because what happened in between despising David? If you go back and read it, you see that David offered peace offerings and burnt offerings, which took a lot of time. It says he blessed the people, gave them uh, uh, gave him the, um, um, a portion of meat, gave him raisins, gave him these, these different things. So there was a long time that Michael had the opportunity to deal with her heart. 
Just like David, David was angry, but he guarded his heart and said, I'm not going to blame the Lord for why things are not happening in my life. I'm going to blame myself and wait on him to show me what I have done wrong, which is what eventually happened. But Michael did not guard her heart, and she let this thought brew in her heart. And eventually, when her husband came home, it, it brewed up out of her heart and then out of her mouth. It was that sin that caused her to be childless. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Matthew 15.18, But what comes out of the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. Because Michael did not guard her heart, she slandered the man that God anointed to lead his people. In God's response, you will never bear fruit. Never. Listen, Michael did not bear fruit because she did not honor the presence of God. And we will never produce fruits unless we learn to value and honor God's presence. How important is God's presence in your life? We see two people, David, who valued his presence, honored his presence, but didn't do it the right way the first time. But whenever it was shown to him, he adjusted, fixed, repented, said, God, please forgive me. And then we have Michael, who when she saw her husband honoring the Lord, despised him, but didn't recorrect. And her result, she didn't have any kids. And back then, to not have children, for a woman to not have a child, was the greatest curse that any woman could have. This is the whole point of this message right here. There are going to be moments in our walk with the Lord that we don't honor his presence. We're coming in flippantly. We're coming in however we want. We're coming in. Look, I don't mind us having coffee, but sometimes I see people walking in with coffee during worship, and they're more concerned about that cup than worshiping the Lord. There's a problem right there. That's coming in irreverently. When we come together, we're coming with God's bride. Listen to this. Yes, you are the bride, but when you walk in, you're coming to see the rest of the bride. And God loves his bride. And he honors his, and he washes his bride. And he says, you will not come. And yes, he is merciful and he won't strike us down like he struck Uzzah, but we will not see a lot of God in our life because we are coming irreverently. There are times in our lives when we will come in irreverently and God will convict us and try to correct us. But if we begin to make excuses about why we're doing something or not doing something, then we're not honoring his presence. And we don't honor his presence, he doesn't come. I want to remind you, I didn't say this earlier, but God's presence is not a feeling, it is a person. It's very easy for us when we're in worship to feel God's presence. That is a man coming into the room, the man Jesus. He is coming into the room. He is everywhere at one time, but whenever there are people who set their minds to focus on him, he comes a little bit closer. So how well do you honor God's presence? Have we become so used to it where we just come in and just expect him to move us, to touch us? Or do we come in realizing we are literally coming into the presence of a king?